Hi, welcome to Deadly Discussions, um, a podcast about social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Isaac Harrison. And before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional landowners on whose land I'm recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This week, we have Naomi Dickinson of Reading Consultants Consulting. Is that right, Naomi? Did I? Reading Consulting. Consulting. There we go. I, I really need to get better at the titles of my guests because I've. <laughs> I think I've blundered every single one. Um, so luckily everyone's so humble and they're like, it's all right, Isaac, don't worry about it. Um, so Naomi, you're an electrical engineer, just like last yes, week, we're following the trend. Pardon? I said last week we had Ruby Hurd, uh, yes. also electrical engineer who you know. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Which is great. And now we've got yourself on um, today mm-hmm. and we want to hear your story. So you're um, obviously Australian, grew up in... You want to share your story where you actually grew yeah. up? Yep. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, well, I guess yeah. You can you can tell from my accent. I am very Australian. Uh, I was yeah. born in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, I lived in Windsor near my grandparents um, whilst my mum finished her nursing degree um, at the Alfred Hospital. Um, okay. That part was back in um, this was back in the seventies. Yeah. Um, particularly for women back then, I think there were about two major professions they could get into, and nursing was one of them. Yeah. Well. Um, you know, and so she was a single mum at the time as well with two children, and it was wow. the only course that actually paid her whilst um, she was learning. Yeah. You know, so she really excelled at that and won awards at the Alfred Hospital. So really? I'm proud to say her name's on a board there as their top nurse over three years. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's so, incredible. Yeah, so quite significant. I actually remember as a child going to watch her um, receive her award. Um, when I was about five years old. So, yeah, wow. so it was an interesting time of change in Melbourne. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. A single mum in the 70s, that would not have been easy. No, not at all. But, I mean, you know, she worked hard and we moved to Windsor, which is where I associate with as my stomping ground, I guess. But we yep. moved a lot in whilst I was at primary school. So I actually ended up going to three primary schools. Yeah, wow. Um, in that period and um, did my secondary schooling at MLC over in Kew. So, and she worked really hard because she was hell-bent on, you know, me having the opportunity and my sister, she subsequently married um, my dad. Yeah. And who raised me. Yeah. And... Um, you know, they just wanted to try and give us the best education that they could. So um, that's why I ended up there. But yeah, I, okay. I guess I learned to be independent from a very young age and I've yeah, come of course, the fear yeah. of entering into new environments um, that had different norms and cultures. Um, and that yeah. just naturally happens when, when you're that young. Yeah, okay. So yeah. being a single mum, so do you have like, um, if you don't mind me asking, sort of uh, male model, you know, role models that were around or uncles or um, oh yeah well we lived when we moved into Windsor my grandparents so they're both still alive my grandma's 92 yep. and my granddad's 90 been married yep. for six and seven years <laughs> yeah so wow. they were living next door to us in Windsor and um my grandmother was very much my rock she still is yeah awesome. um through that whole time so yeah so sort of more extended family of course and, and my friends are very much my family they have been over the years and just because of the travels that I've done internationally, my, my whole friendship circle is quite um, spread around the world. Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah. from such a young age. Yeah, that's definitely... Um, I was having lunch with Adam Goods and he said about it takes a community to raise a family. And I didn't Truthfully, really, really yeah. realise that because when I grew up, 
you know, my nan had mm. 10 kids, so I have, you know, 50-something first cousins. It was very normal to have walk to school with your cousins, walk back, play in soccer teams or be in classroom with your family. And yeah. now that I've got two little ones on the age of three, I realise mm. how long the days can be and just mm. having mum or you know, my parents still live in Queensland, so I've only got one side of in-laws here to help out. And yeah. you're really stretching like when you have – and it actually gave me sort of revelation about – a lot of the migrants that come with just themselves yeah. and how isolated they must feel oh, totally. and yeah. alone because you don't have the community that you've had for thousands of years or hundreds of years around to yeah. raise the children at your same level of standards. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I come from a typical white Anglo family, um, so to say, and, you yeah. know, my grandfather is British, you know, he, he, he jumped off a boat effectively and... Yeah. Um, probably shouldn't talk about this, but... That's all right. You're either a convict, uh, immigrant, <laughs> or Indigenous. No, no. So, uh... <laughs> it's, it's sort of the family joke. He, he jumped ship effectively, and yep. um, back, back in the day, um, rode a, a lorry. He basically did everything that one... Yeah. I guess it's not considered legal these days, but, yeah, you know, that's okay. how he met my grandmother, and um, they ended up going back to England, so he had to jump back on a boat to leave the country, and... Yeah, wow. <laughs> Wow, you know, that's all sorts. But the, the irony of it all is he became the governor of Pentridge Jail. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Good <laughs> so, role model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, but no, nah, my grandparents are fabulous. And it's, you know, yeah, that's that's really good to hear. Um, but, you know, we're, I, I consider us, you know, in a sense, yeah, a migrant family in, in many ways. Many Australians are. And, yeah, that's uh, you right. Know, through, through all the moves that we did, I was living in one... After we left Windsor, I was living in Malvern, yeah. and the family next door were Greek, and I, I yeah. was just intrigued after school. I, I would go into their home, and they yeah. would have different sounds on their TV. It was a different language. Yeah, definitely. And I was, I was too young to know what SBS was. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But it was wonderful. You know, and I think all of this is what intrigued my... I was always very curious, so it really brought out my interest in culture and language and yeah, just wanting to understand everything and talk. It's, and it's better food know, than a meat. Uh, and two veg, which yeah, uh, is a totally. famous Anglo-Saxon diet. <laughs> I, I grew up in Harvey Bay, and yeah. being Indigenous Australian, my father's Anglo, and his uh, great-grandfather migrated from Yorkshire. He also came uh -huh. on a boat, didn't jump the boat. Yeah. He he left like a um, civilised man, um, yeah. and owned a lot of farmland out, outside of Maribor. And um, uh -huh. one thing I realised was when I spoke to people at school, I knew I had yeah. two cultures running through my blood. I had Indigenous culture and I had yeah. Anglo-Australian culture. And yeah. so I would ask people, you know, where they're from, like students, yeah. you know, my age, year eight, year nine, year 10. And they'd say, oh, I'm Australian. And I said, yeah, but like, where did you come from? Like before that, yeah. oh, Australian. Yeah. And uh, most yeah. um, Anglo kids never really understood where they actually came from. Um, and then years yeah. later, now I find, as I do corporate meetings or we're having lunch and I introduce myself as a, a cubby cubby berry uh, man from Queensland also um, Anglo-Australian then people take turns around the table explaining their heritage now because it's mm. sort of come to light as we have more and more waves of um, new migrants coming to Australia people are going mm. actually yeah where did I come from you know and, yeah. and but I think it's a, a changed time as well because you know back when I was I mean migration's been around forever there were yeah. always the different streams that came into the country and there were the same problems that, that were perceived yeah. you know each time but um 
you know, I said, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of politics, I think, behind discussions that are there, which, you know, I think are necessary, but it seems to be the, the period that we're living in. Um, yeah, but now so global. I think we're in a generation where people are just more understanding. It's people are more intermarried. They have more understanding of different cultures, religions, foods. Yeah, definitely. You know, I watched the food scene that didn't exist 25 years ago or so, and it's just evolved into, you know, multicultural. Yes. That's my favourite thing um, about multiculturalism, the food. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I, I, can go I, on, think, uh, I think Australians have learned to appreciate that as a whole. Definitely, yeah. You can go on menu log and I can eat in anywhere in yeah. the world yeah. at the touch yeah. of and my food fingertips. food brings people together, you know. So, and people does, travel yeah. more now too. We've got, you know, people are mobile like they weren't in the day. You know, my great-grandmother when I was young still yep. caught a ship to England. Yeah. You know, that was before it was common to travel by plane, so... Yeah, yeah, that's... all not too long ago, really. Yeah, that's right. I remember my family did a trip to Perth, not myself, but my mother and Nan, and they yeah. took photos as if they went um, to yeah. Alaska. Yeah. I was just like, it's just to Perth. But my Nana never had... She was full indigenous. She never had a license. She never was on payroll because, um, you know, that's she was wow. pre-having the right to vote. And so wow. she, for her to yeah. go on a plane, it was like <laughs> she's conquered the world just to go to Perth wow. and then back. So yeah. um, that's just, yeah, just a whole different, you know, world and different stories and different communities that everyone comes from. And, and then having it in yeah. a corporal mix pot, you've got a mixing pot. And we've learned at, at Bunjil is you either create the culture you want for your company or it'll create mm-hmm. itself. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's hard once it's created itself and you're trying to correct because it's you've got people, bad habits, and it takes, you know, 21 days to start a new habit. And so, yeah. Well, let's mm-hmm. move on to the next one. So, electrical engineer, what made you decide I'm going to be an electrical engineer? <laughs> well, there is, it's interesting because um, I think it's, uh, there's a lot that comes down to. I guess, who I am as a person as much as anything. But, yeah. you know, I've always been curious, right? And I think curiosity has given me the motivation and drive to explore and learn. And I think you'll find a lot of engineers, you know, have that in there. They're intrigued by yeah. the world. They want to know how things work. And, um, you know, I didn't particularly have any role models in terms of engineering in my family. Yeah. Um, Certainly none that I'm aware of, although in the last six months I actually learned that my, my grandfather on my, my biological father's side yep. was an engineer. Oh, wow. I've never known that, so that just blew me away. Um, yeah, that's amazing. To find, I think if we're engineer, the terminology is not what we would use today with the university degree, yep. um, but it was considered an engineer at the time, so maybe a, a I don't know if it would be a boiler maker now, but yep. there was a specific engineering school in Melbourne, apparently. So I was thrilled to find that out. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, my yeah. father was, you know, hands-on. He had um, a couple yeah. of trades. My youngest brother, I remember him doing woodwork and metalwork at school, and he would mm. do it with without, you know, just with ease, no no training. He, someone mm. would show him something that's been built or fabricated, and he would just do it. And yeah, I would sit there looking yeah. at it going, I understand its purpose, but I have no idea how to put that together. <laughs> so, yeah. um, And it didn't intrigue me. But what I found is I'm really good at, and finding your strengths and, and weaknesses, I find I'm really good at putting together teams to accomplish a certain yeah. project. 
and then obviously mm. communicating one another, each member of the team, making sure we're all on the same page. And that's why I have such a passion for social entrepreneurship and corporate mm. responsibility because I understand um, people from different countries see things completely different or different applications they see yeah. you know, is to produce clean water yeah. versus someone who's producing something for a large corporate to go and scale out across the nation. So. No, that's that's really interesting that you said that. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. Great. So I think I I found that um, I mean particularly when I was young I, I was I was a little bit jealous because my brother got this awesome toy train to play with and yep. I had a a bug I think it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a yellow bug. <laughs> wow. And um, and like an actual little car. bug, like an insect. Well, or? I don't know. It was a rolly bug thing, yellow with oh, green like a little wheels, car. I think. Yeah. And he yeah. had a, a toy train he could ride on, and I I wasn't allowed to touch it. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and it, so it was quite ironic. I moved into transport as an engineer. But um, but he also had a Meccano set, and I mean, yeah, you probably don't yeah. know what Meccano is. You're probably too young. Yeah. But it was it was all the rage same, when yes. I was a child. Yep. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I think there was just a bit of interest, but more about um, application, I guess. And, and I really enjoyed physics at school. Um, yep. So all of this sort of pointed me in the direction of either an electrical or mechanical um, course. And I certainly didn't want to study science. I needed to know what I would be. I wanted to go into yeah, a solid profession where I could actually yep. see what I was producing. You know, that was really, really important to me. And I th- and the criteria at the time for me was that, um, earning a decent income, having independence, because I was raised to be independent yeah, and I grew up looking after myself yeah. um, and, and raising my sisters. Um, but also I... Um, I wanted to go overseas. One of, one of the key points for me is I was absolutely hell-bent on going to Germany yeah, wow. um, because I'd learned a little bit of German at school and I wanted to apply it in a practical sense, not just backpacking. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, so for me it was always a question of why not and I think that's something that MLC was quite good at instilling in the girls that go there, they, and they yeah. no doubt still are, is that they don't, push you into, you know, non-typical areas for women, but they yep. ask you why not. Yeah. And that's just so fundamental. And I think any any engineer um, who is a female um, will probably tell you why not. It's, it, it, it's so irrelevant what their gender is. Yeah, that's what I, I was speaking. When we had Ruby on, she was saying, it, why do I have to explain my reason for being a female in engineering? <laughs> got nothing to do with it. A person or a child, if you look at any child, has curiosity. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you could, they, they, and STEM is a very broad area as well. So, yeah. you know, it's, you know I, I might have been one of the early female candidates that entered into the STEM world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that just came from, you know, personal interest and, and curiosity at the time and a why yeah. not attitude, dive in and do it. Um, any barriers they came up during, once I entered into the work field because society just wasn't ready. You yeah. know, the schooling was ready; it was catching up. But yep. what I, what importantly, what I notice now is that they're just the new, the generation that's coming through at the moment um, doesn't really seem to even think about this topic much. It's so irrelevant. Like yeah, I see a much right. higher degree of respect in the millennials, particularly. Um, between the sexes when they're in the office. They just, yeah. they'll, they'll refer to the person who's competent regardless of um, gender. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, that's really, really noticeable. You yeah. know, whereas my generation, I think, still split. And, you know, I mean, these are general comments because 
you know, there's, I think, you know, some of my best mentors, particularly the older um, ones where I started out, yeah. um, were all men, for example, and they, they really nurtured me and had my back as I have, have always had my team's back. Yeah, I was going to say what it was like coming through university as a, as a you know, female engineer then going into the work force. Yeah. What was that like? Was it sort of like, wow, this is... Well, this was the thing. I mean, when I started, and I, I think one thing you, you need to understand is that I started university in the early 90s, and as I said, yep. I wanted to go to Germany. So yep. I was at RMIT. Yep. And when I was there, so I learned that the head of department in electrical engineering, Dr. Sheehan, yep. um, he had studied in Germany in Braunschweig. Um, and there happened to be a visiting professor from Germany who was coming a fortnight later. So I approached him and said, I want to go to Germany. And from that um, grew the first, as far as I know, the first university, certainly the first RMIT undergraduate international exchange program. Yeah, wow. Now, again, these things are commonplace today, but back then nothing existed. Um, and And I was certainly poor. I you know, I was working multiple jobs to yeah, wow. survive and everything else. So um, I approached Siemens Limited at the time and I asked them for a scholarship to go because I had no money. <laughs> and um, I yeah. think they were quite stunned at my initiative because yeah. students didn't have it. And, um, yeah, they basically sponsored me to spend my second year of engineering over in the Black Forest where I studied. And um, I think it was upon arrival I realised the significance of what I'd done because I was only 18 years old. Yeah. Um, Which in hindsight, I think, gosh, that was young, but I felt so mature at the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I arrived and realised I had no significant German. So um, after a few tears, I I wiped myself off and... um, Got on with it. Yeah, yeah, just grabbed the ball by the horns and made it happen. It was awesome. the best year of study. So that's incredible. And um, you know, one thing I know about you is your, you know, resilience. You know, your belief in yourself, your your work ethic okay. and initiative, which you've clearly displayed from a young age, and um, probably goes back to the fact of help raising your, you know, your sisters and and siblings. Um, that ties into sort of you running your own consultancy business or have been as well. Yeah, well, I think um, I started my company back in 2013. So when when I moved from university into um, work, I started working for a multinational company, a German manufacturing company. Um, So I was with them for quite a number of years um, through the 90s and... You know, in that period, I gained a lot of experience yeah, okay. um, working across areas from engineering, commissioning, yep. sales, bit tenders, you name it. Yeah, and wow. all of that gave me a really solid basis um, to lead my first major project. Yeah. Um, and in that project, I had to manage sometimes really conflicting interests between stakeholders, um, including, you know, banks, government, yep. receiver managers, administrators, you name it. Yeah, wow. Um, and also an international project team, an extended team of about 30 people, it was, I'd say. And then behind that, you had the whole, as I said, engineering field, manufacturing field of the product um, that we were bringing into the country. So when I started working in the the mid-90s, it was in the late 90s that Jeff Kennett privatised the Victorian transport system. And this was done just prior to Steve Brax coming in as Premier. Yeah. Right, so unlike for the East-West Link contracts that were awarded in a similar environment, in the case of Victoria's first transport franchise arrangement, Labor continued with the privatised arrangement. Yep. 
Okay, and that, that's quite significant when you sort of see what's been happening over the years and how the state's been developing. And I think we're up to our fourth transport franchise at the moment. So yeah, the first wow. one, you know, there were good and bad things in it. It was certainly a learning curve. Yeah. Um, but for me at the time, you know, I was really... When I started, I was very much learning about what a tram is, but I ended yeah. up writing all of the um, requirements and the functional specification and introducing one of the first low-floor, 100% low-floor trams into the state of Victoria, Yeah. Um, you know, which is something I'm proud of because that functionality is actually good. used um, on, on many of the trams in Melbourne today. Yeah. Also, like Naomi, you said about you know, doing stuff from sales, tendering, running teams, stakeholder mm. engagement. How do you find uh, traditionally for an engineer who's really, you know, uh, statistic-based, data, um, you know, centred, and they've got a problem and they go to they solve it. But now you mix in people, personalities, um, different histories, and you've got the sales side of things as well. So you're trying to bring in a good margin for your company. You're also doing stakeholders. Um, how do you go from being a straight engineer to diversifying and having to learn those sort of skills where you've got to really be a strong people person and a leader? Like, how did you find that yeah, transition? I think, I think it's a bit of a hard one because it's, I mean, I, I think to the credit of the company that I started with, they do train their people well. They're very yeah. well known for that. Um, my personality and character is people-oriented and team-oriented, always yeah. have been. Yeah. Um, and I was certainly more oriented towards making things happen and making sure that the performance was good and they were delivered well yeah. as compared to getting into a research-style design you know, it just wasn't my interest area. Yeah, okay. So, but because I had the solid base of engineering where I started and I was a graduate and I knew I knew nothing, yeah. um, on one of the first jobs I worked on, it was a, um, a hot metal charging tr- crane for Korea, yeah. for Bosco Steel. Um, there was a factory out in Bayswater, Jersey Road, that was open at the time, and I would go in there and speak to the electricians on the floor and just ask yep. them about the cab layout, everything else, you yep. know, it doesn't work. And the guys, the guys were stunned. They'd never been asked this question before. And yeah, wow. I think at the time, my engineering manager, because I sort of reported back, was a bit stunned as well. Why did you ask? You're the engineer. And I pointed out this guy's got 30 years' experience, and I Hand don't... On. That's that's incredible. But it, and it yeah. was really interesting because again at the time they were they were closing the factory. There was a lot going on that yeah. was quite difficult, which and much of which I didn't understand really. Yeah, I was too young. But my project was the only project that they kept working on. They stopped everything else. Um, and I think a lot of that just had to do with basic respect. You know, it and is, I think this is, is the thing: if you care about, if you care, care is just so fundamental life if you care about anything you will invest in it yeah you know and i and i think that's I just the motto in a sense that i have is I, I keep it at the core of my soul because you know it comes down to kindness it comes down to good delivery it's yep. you notice that in any trade whether it's you know a taxi driver an executive or whatever it doesn't matter if they yep. care about what they do they do it with pride yeah that's that is very you know, and, key. I, and I like to instill that in project teams because the more that you instill it, the more independent they become at the different 
degrees that every individual has. Yeah. Um, and they, what I see is just the, the pride that the team walks away with knowing they've delivered something well, and that, that means the world to me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we our culture at Bunjil as well is, you know, there's no such thing as sort of a, a stupid question. It's only stupid answers. And, you know, I pride myself on, you know, asking the question. That's why, you know, we're here today where we got and then instilling mm. out the team. And but then be ready for when the team to turn around and ask you a question to, to answer that and yeah. instill those values. I think the top down mentality of people is if you ask a question, you're you know, you're silly or you're weak or you're uneducated mm. or you missed the memo. Um, mm. But having that humility centered in the culture in any business um, is mm. so important. Uh, well, we're nearly out of time, which I thought might happen yeah. with me and oh, you having a yeah. talk. Um, yep. Well, let's finish off with where Naomi is in five to ten years. I know you didn't want me to ask this, but <laughs> I'm going to ask it. Um, well, I don't know. I think I'm going to be prime minister or something. Prime minister? No, I'm. Don't. We'll, we'll write that down and hold you to <laughs> don't account. <need> that. <laughs> I'll get that over to sports bet and we'll start getting something going there. <laughs> no, no, I've certainly become more interested in policy. And look, I think a lot of this comes from, um, you know, in the, in the last few years I've been moving towards energy. So, you know, after I started my company, I've, yeah. you know, I've been supporting government and private sector and, you know, providing advice, you know, to transport for New South Wales, for example, yeah. um, on the light rail system at one point. Um, I don't know, you know, doing various things for various clients yeah and i um, think that's very important someone with your practical experience to come into government and help with policy and help with um getting you know rubber hitting the road sort of sort of stuff well and it's also there's a, there's so much infrastructure work going on at the moment but that tends to sway a lot of people into the civil and the structural area for getting the system integration and when you come from a rolling stock background as i do everything you do has to be integrated yeah you know and, and and as an electrical engineer i think that's what electrical engineers particularly see is the system integration you have to think in terms of systems you think in purpose why am i doing this yeah so it doesn't matter whether you know it has to do with a signaling or a braking system yep. or you know connecting yep. new generators to the neg or whatever else you're constantly yep doing a risk assessment, you're, you're observing the horizon, you know, for, for different risks and also trying to work out different opportunities that come. So it's particularly electrical engineers have that instilled in them. Yeah, I, and that's such an important yeah. thing to so, have and ask why, because if it's just for making money, then that whole purpose sort of goes out the window. And Well, um, exactly, and I think engineers culturally... You know, they're more about finding the most cost-effective way of doing something rather than making money. Yep. You know, I think as a, as a field, engineers are, you know, the quiet backbone of the country, you could say almost. Yeah, I in, agree. You know, in, in a sense. You My know, engineers about- would tell me the same thing. As they yeah, quietly judge I mean, me when I walk past. No. <laughs> yeah. um, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Naomi. That's all. We've got time, but we would definitely be getting you back on. Because um, yeah. I know you've got a few big things to share. We'd love to hear updates on. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I've got loads to share. That's right. And so much for being nervous. Look at you. You're going on. No, on fire. you got me talking. That's true. That's true. And there was no cheese or wine. So it was just straight. Uh, excellent. So thanks so much for coming on. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Naomi. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks a lot, Ag. No take all. care. You too. See you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.